0: Hi, it's Finn Dwar from the Irish History Podcast and this is a staycast from ACAST. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard Maclean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACAST app or wherever you get podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast I'm Andrew Musgrove today, joined by Lee Ryder and Chris Woff. We're into the first international break of the Premier League season. Uh, Chris's excitement is... yes that's the word Um, (laughs) we'll talk about the international break and how Benitez deals with the lack of games Um, Will will be happy not to have any games considering how their start of the season has gone but first of all we'll talk about the defeat to Manchester City 2-1 at the Etihad Um, positives Lee
2: positives were they didn't get hammered they didn't get humiliated the confidence didn't take a massive dent uh, they showed they could defend against a, what I would say is a world class team um, they kept it respectable they got a well taken equaliser um, sadly they just couldn't couldn't build on it in the second half
1: you've been covering Newcastle for, for many years now
0: it,
1: it, is it sad in a way to see that New, Newcastle fans are kind of just accepting it I mean not this is a Christmas has been years but you know, 2-1 defeat to Manchester City and Newcastle fans were, yeah you know, okay, they said we didn't get Hamad. Mm. Is that just the state of the club that is in now?
2: Well, unfortunately it is because they've, they've been warned. Um, I mean, the fans have made their feelings clear on what they need to do. They've been warned by, you know, a top-class manager in, in Rafa Benitez that they haven't got enough depth, they haven't got enough quality, they haven't got enough pace. Um, they've, they've been told all that um, and then, you know, they regardless of that they still go in the season short and you know they go to Man City and they've got a part of the bus so that is the reality of where Newcastle United are at the moment um, they can't step up and compete they can't take on Man City um, you know like for like unfortunately um, I know Watford got a great result against Spurs yeah, yesterday um, maybe things did drop their way a little bit more and I suppose that's a comparison you can make. But really, going to Manchester City and expecting anything other than a defeat these days is, um, is sadly something which you've got to accept.
1: We had this discussion inside side of Chris after the game and you said it's, you know, it's needs must. Newcastle should kind of in a way prioritise the goal difference because at the end of the season it could be the difference between relegation and survival.
3: Yeah, and it's not even just the goal difference though. I think it's a psychological fact. If you go into this two-week at national break by the time they'd got to this Man City game they hadn't won, they'd lost to Forrest on Wednesday. You go to Man City and, and return with a 6-1 scoreline as they had back under Steve McLaren. And suddenly this two-week international break becomes turmoil and it really is. Panic station's setting in. 2-1, you're never going to celebrate a defeat. But the, the big thing I would say is that for, for anyone out there who is saying... He needs to approach it in a different way. If someone comes up with, if someone presents me with an actual way that he could have approached that game that was different. People are saying have a go. Well, as Jamie Carragher said last week, what does that mean? Actually, come up with a constructive idea. So, and I, without John Joe Shelby, they didn't have. They haven't got Florian Lejeune. Isaac Hayden, who may have been another person in midfield, wasn't there. Matt Ritchie wasn't there who was gonna come into the team and really make it so Newcastle could try and go toe to toe with Man City, even with a full strength team that if that have really struggled to do that. They probably don't have the personnel and so at the end of the day, look, they stayed in the game. A draw would have flattered them, there's no doubt about it. Man City had a lot of chances to Bravka made some good saves. But really, it does seem in a strange sort of way a positive result because the goal difference hasn't taken a hammer and they've been in every single game, even though they've lost three of them this season. And really the the match for me that, that I think has almost been lost that the frustration should be about is that Cardiff game. They had a last minute penalty. They didn't play well in that game but they could have... If they'd have won that game they'd have gone into Chelsea and Man City and maybe be able to have more of a free hit but they didn't. They missed a golden opportunity to do that and since then the pressure has grown and that's why I think the results have been scrutinised a little bit more than
1: necessarily would have been otherwise. I suppose as as you can see the frustration because... When Newcastle did press a little bit more, I say they had a chance, it was a Joselu half chance on turn. But Man City was shown, you know, they're not invincible, they are just players. Do you not see that maybe Benitez could have changed it a bit earlier, he could have done a bit more than just a straight swap for, for Rondon? I see the argument, but at the same time when people talk about the
3: Joselu half chance or over in the end, Man City had three chances in the last ten minutes, to Aguero should have scored it's been here, as Benitez as Lee mentioned last week it's the short blanket he pulled it up they went 4-2-3-1 yeah Newcastle maybe had a couple of further half chances but suddenly Man City then had gaps to run into it was almost one on one outside and their players are going to yeah. win that the majority of the time so you can, you can try things to a certain extent but the the reality is that, that the squad that Newcastle have at the moment 99 times over 100 they're, they're not going to beat Man City
2: well the back as you say them gaps yeah. start to emerge didn't they you know, Aguero got that that chance when um, Dubravka come out and made the sprawling save. I mean, let's be honest, Dubravka still got man of the match, and that that treble save was, you know, the big highlight from a goalkeeping point of view. Um, uh, you know, there was the Aguero shift, There was a couple of other ones on a on a different day if man City had been a bit more, if they needed to win it a little bit more, um, they could have, you know, easily racked up four or five. So as you say. The goal difference from, from what could have been if, if they'd have gone hell for leather in those three games against the top four, or top six, or whatever, it could you know could easily be minus twelve compared to minus three, and minus three is quite respectable, and you can certainly get get that bottomed out by the time you go into the sort of darker nights.
1: Uh, so you obviously, you would have spoken to, or he did speak to Rafa after the game. What was his mood like? We know what he said after the game, but in general, his mood after the after the game well if anybody thinks
2: that behind the scenes like Rafa was just happy to only lose 2-1 then they'd be wrong because I actually asked him in the press conference I said are you pleased with, with the battle and spirit and he kind of like um, pulled me up on it and said like what do you mean pleased why would I be pleased if you just got beaten and so he still obviously wanted to get something out of the game he goes in every game with a plan trying to well he told me before that he, every game he tries to go in and win um, whether he, that was realistic against Man City it's hard to say but he certainly doesn't go in to lose so I think his body language you know the fact that he, he put on a, a, a very disappointed figure after the game even against Man City even against Guardiola I think that was that, that spoke volumes for me in, in that he's you know he will not accept um, you know losing games easily so that, that that took something out of that at the end of the at the end of the game.
1: LaSalle's lost Chris was back after injury after all the the news that, that came out didn't have the best starts to the game, was it ever? Probably for the first goal to give him the ball away. But you know, he got bit as the game went on and I, I suppose that chose a test of character.
3: Yeah, it was almost ring rustiness. I think that was part of Benitez's frustration because I think he basically part of his game plan was first 20 minutes, don't give anything away, don't give the ball away in dangerous position. And actually I thought Lascelles made a decent interception but then tried to play it out, pass it to Mendy who then sets up Sterling to score and then you could almost argue that Lascelles maybe could have closed down quicker. Although I think that second bit's a little bit harsh. He then had another five minutes where he wasn't quite there. But for the rest of the game, I thought he played very well. And I think that's possibly just because he hadn't played in the last week or so. He'd had that minor injury. Obviously, everything that's gone on, we know about his personal situation with a baby on the way. So, I think it's just a a lot of factors. But he showed character to come back into it. And I actually thought the back five played very well. I thought all of them. I thought Fernandez was very good in the centre again. Clark was all right. Uh, Dummett played well dealt well with MRS down that side and then on the other flank it was a little bit more difficult for Yedlin defensively because they were overlapping at times but I thought he did alright and obviously got forward and finished off a very very good move with a, a very good finish as well
2: I mean some, sometimes for me like if you concede a goal really early it's not the worst thing in the world I know it's not the best thing but it just seems to take the sting out of the opposition a little bit they, they suddenly haven't got the foot to the floor they're not coming at you from all angles because they've got a goal and they they readjust themselves and I just think that it wasn't the w- worst thing for me. You know that Newcastle were able to recover and rebuild a bit and they actually after Gun One, that was a great response in mm-hmm. terms of they were shutting players down, they were going on the counter and it was a really well worked uh, goal from the So yeah, you know we're not. <laughs> it's hard to uh, analyze a game like yeah. this in some ways, isn't it? But.
1: You know, you're asking us to, so <laughs> we're giving it a that shot. Well, we'll talk about the process, Yedlin's goal, great seeing him back, fitness, you know, galloping down the right wing. I mean, the speed he yeah. got down was brilliant. Dubravka, three fantastic good saves. Yeah, fantastic good saves to all. Praise that. Um, now, I remember we were speaking after the Chelsea game, Chris, or it might even be the Spurs game, sorry, where you said Dubravka doesn't look kind of like at the, the same level we saw him towards in the last season yesterday was back to his old old self you could argue uh, sadly sorry
3: for large parts of it yeah I mean I, I have to be honest there was a couple of, of moments where I was a little bit nervy there was a kick in the first half which almost got charged down and there was also one where he parried it into the parried across into the six yard box but I mean that's that's nitpicking he was, he was brilliant for the most part I mean that triple save was absolutely fantastic and that was the moment where if Newcastle had conceded it, it might have turned into 4 or 5 because then Man City would have gained a bit extra momentum. Closed down Sergio Aguero for that late opportunity, and I just he seems to have. I think maybe it just took him a little bit of time to get back to his best, but he, he does make a huge difference. He can just he always is communicating. I think Fernandez has played a part in helping that. I think now he's got another communicator in the defense. he legs, having someone to to have a to pass the ball to, but b to just bounce ideas off and bounce just just to communicate with and. Uh, he's a huge asset at 4 million I think he was an absolute snip and Benitez spoke about him after the game and said it isn't just what he does on the pitch off the pitch he's, he's a self-confident sort of guy he's got an infectious attitude which is rubbed off on the other players and I think since January we've seen that uplift in everyone in terms of personality wise and he's
2: certainly helped with that Yeah, I think we've seen it didn't we in, in Spain because he came and sat right in front of him in the, uh, in the press box In Mar- this was back in March when they went to was um, the Pineri Arena, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and he sat down, and the first thing he did was he, he made a lane like to Carl Dalo. And it, it, for me, that just whether he knew we were behind him or not, that just showed that he's a very much a team player, very mm-hmm. much a squad man, uh, and he, he hasn't got that kind of selfish streak. So I, I think he's a really good character. out on board
1: with the cells uh, you know, partner there with Fernandez? Obviously, Lejeune is out. Probably you would say um, for the season with the injuries, had. I mean, how important has the rival of Fernandez been given that he is kind of in the same style and mould as Lejeune and more of a ball playing defender than Nassau's?
3: Uh, well, I think that is important. Just on when Lejeune uh, could be back, asked is a couple of weeks ago and he actually said they're sending the same knee specialist who saw Rolando Aaron's, and Aaron's was back in four months. They're confident, quietly confident that Lejeune could be back early 2019. He was even taught in January, possibly, probably more likely February um, because they've sent him to someone they've used. They used the one at Napoli as well, Rome specialist who's who's dealt with his knee. Um, they think he's making very good recoveries, further ahead than he's usually been. Ten years ago, this operation would have been your season over, but this specialist... Getting on to, to, I still think Lejeune's a miss. I, I don't think Fernandez is quite the same ball-playing defender that Lejeune is, but he's certainly more confident on the ball than some of the other centre-backs. And he's, he's an authoritative character. He, he speaks a lot, and I think that he has made a difference. I think he's a, he's a good signing, regardless of wh- when Lejeune's fit. I think he's someone who you want in and around the squad. Knows Benita as well. And I think that has helped the defence a little bit, and I'd expect to see him stay in the team in the next few weeks, because I think he has made a difference.
1: Any other positives side that, that you saw on on Saturday evening? Well, I think
2: the big positive was that they didn't crumble completely. I think you know, Rondon, his assist was it was a good move, wasn't it, for the goal? Rondon getting that cross in just showed you that he can bring a little bit more to the table. Um, great for Yedlin, who's had a tough start to the season. He thought he was going to be ruled out, didn't he, mm. at one point? To see him, you know, not only bounce back from the injury, bounce back from the home goal against Chelsea with a goal and a bright performance because he was probably Newcastle's outlet on on Saturday, even though he was the right back, he was the only one who had the pace that could really, you know, frighten Man City, and that's that's in something. So, good to see him with a smile on his face again on international duty now. You know, Newcastle need him, he's a a key player.
3: I mean, just in terms of Rondon as well, I thought on Saturday. Started to see what he's about, he's still not 100% fit, Beniez keeps making the point, but I mean he was so isolated at times, but after the first 5 or 10 minutes when Stones and uh, Lepore t- tend to get quite a lot of the ball, after that Rondon was physically put himself about, he's bringing teammates into play and I just think that he saw why he is a Rafa Beniez player, yeah. that physical type up front he works hard for the team and he and he gives you a bit of an outlet and I think going forward once he gets his full fitness I can see that he'll fit well and particularly when they're playing the 4-2-3-1 and him as the lone striker.
1: Do you any of you worry that while his hold of play is exactly what he wants, once, he won't necessarily bring the goals and the catch that the Castle need to survive relegation? It's interesting one of the things that Rafa said after the city game
2: directly after the city game in the press conference. He was actually asked about Rondon and he kind of swung it round onto Hoselu saying that we need to make sure that both Hoselu and Rondon get good service and he went through the players that he wants more service from is Atsu, uh, Richie um, and Perez so yeah there was a little bit of insight there I think to be fair Hoselu he's got two already a couple of decent crosses have gone in the box room and he's, he's delivered so I think he's asking for more of that. He's always demanding more from his players, Rafa, and you know he knows he's not going to be able to buy a centre forward now until January. Even even if they cough up money, then he's got to work with what he's got. And for me, there's been no complaints at all from Rafa about money. You know all this perception from pundits you know, he's moaning, he's not, he's, he's had money, and all this kind of thing." I've not heard him moaning not once in the press conference once the window shut. He knew there's an absolute waste of energy knocking on the door, asking for money anymore. I've got to work with the squad I've got, and that's exactly what he's done.
1: But interestingly on that, like you say there's a perception that he's wanted yeah. the keys to, to the bank, so to speak. But it's not really been about that, it's been more about A, having the control to say, right, if you, you have 20 million to spend, Rafa says, I want to spend it on one player, you can have yeah. the right to go and do that, and be how quick or not so quickly the moves in the summer market
2: well that's it and you know he, he knew he couldn't I mean he made a point to, to me in one of my interviews saying if you sign a player for 50 million you, you know you're going to get five or six things goal scoring strength pace all that he said if you sign a player for 5 million you might get one or two of them components so you know he, he, he knocked on the door with Rondon all summer eventually got him albeit on loan albeit at a cost because he lost Dwight Gale at West Brom so everything is a compromise at Newcastle, and you know, hopefully Rondon can can deliver, but at the end of the day, if
1: Newcastle do fall short, which we hope they don't,
2: um, you can't say that they weren't
1: warned. With, uh, you talked there about Rondon not being, well, yeah, one of us first. I suppose someone else who's still getting into it is also Keesung Young, obviously he's come in, he's had to replace John Joe Shelby, who's obviously out injured. Um, They both played two games each you look at the stats and obviously we know John Joe Shelby's uh, ability to pass the ball 112 passes to Keeson Young's 46 um, passes forward 52 for Shelby 10 a key you can I mean obviously it would be be unfair to say Key is the replacement for Shelby but he has kind of gone into that role and Newcastle in a way do need him to maybe step up and, and fill the gap at Shelby's left through, through injury,
3: they do I mean context got to be in as well because in the two games Key's played Newcastle have been essentially on the back foot they've played a formation which has been counter-attacking but in that sort of system that's when you do need someone to pass the ball forward and there's been no doubt that John Joe Shelby's been a huge miss when they don't have him, they're a little bit ponderous at times which is why it was so good to see the move for, for the Edlin goal because they got the ball, the ball from back to front quickly went through four players Perez to Kennedy to uh, Rondon in the box and that was that was great to see Shelby it's going to be interesting to see how long he's out for I supported Benitez last week and he's was saying he's hopeful after the international break but they certainly don't want to take any chances because basically it was an injury he picked up in pre-season uh, thought he was okay kept on telling him he was okay and I think he's just pushed himself a little bit too much and Benitez actually used the term that it was getting dangerous before they took him out of the team which is why they had to to just tell him to take a step back two weeks break to come at the perfect time for him and, and Newcastle really do miss him I, I like Key I, I don't think he's shown his best for Newcastle yet he's still adapting uh, still doesn't look 100% fit came back late after obviously being in the World Cup then only he came back the last couple of weeks of pre-season um, and I think he's going to take a little bit of time but he's not exactly the sort of creative midfielder deep line midfielder that John Joe Shelby is so it's unfair comparison to a certain extent but he's having to play that role and we haven't quite seen him pick those passes out yet because Benitez even said himself on Friday that Key needs to be one of the players to help alleviate the pressure when Shelby's away but he also said the team needs to make sure they make the runs to help him and also they need a step up creative wise because they
1: haven't got a like-for-like replacement for John Joe Shelby. We um, mentioned obviously Wanda came in Dwight Gill went the other way Dwight Gill scored two over the weekend the first one a brilliant turn and round the keeper kind of beards yes going to win into the back of the net Mitovic scored uh, two as well obviously give away a penalty um, many people are saying you know Mitevich scoring really isn't the issue it's more the fact that Newcastle didn't replace Mitovic with the money they got would you agree with that statement? Well, they, no they they didn't spend
2: hardly anything did they so they, they should have coughed up for a, a striker with with the money that I had um, I, I look at the Man City game and I think would Dwight Gale have done a job in that game probably probably would um, but obviously Rafa wanted Rondon with Mitrovic that, that you put him in that type of game and I don't think he would have done a job um, I don't think he would have had the patience to stick with that system he'd, he'd be throwing his arms up in the air that he wasn't getting a pass and the times when you needed to hold the ball up, you know, maybe you wouldn't, you know, we're we're predicting what might have happened but ultimately the reason Mitovic isn't here is because games like that where you have to play in a specific role when it's not all about you and you know, Mick Rose on fire and all that sort of stuff, when it's about the team and staying compact, he couldn't do that, that's why Rafa decided to sell him, so... Yeah, the, the the big complaint as you say is that the money that was raked in, you know, it didn't go out again. So just typical Newcastle and no speculative accumulate.
1: Kristen, I mean you agree with that statement that he's kinda of said that
3: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean the fact that Newcastle have lost the last few games and Mitrovic is scoring and Gale is scoring, it's gonna be highlighted but I mean Hostelou's got a couple already this season. Um, Rondon got his first goal in the middle of last week. The, the proof will be in the end of the season, and, and I mean, Benitez, the, the fact of the matter with Mitrovic was that regardless of what anyone says about him, the relationship in, in terms of playing-wise between him and Rafa Benitez, it just wasn't really compatible. As he says, he's not going to do that job. Benitez wants something very specific in his strikers. He wants him to follow a game plan. Mitrovic didn't do that. He didn't put the effort in and training. They had the numbers to back that up. They showed him, they told him, they asked him to, to raise his level. He didn't and so that's why he's at Fulham, and, and good luck to him, he's, he's scoring goals there, he's in a team built around him, um, but when times are tough, if Fulham do suddenly decide to change the play, and they go somewhere like Man City, and, and maybe he's playing a similar way in Newcastle, I think that's when you'll see that Mitrovic isn't quite the striker in terms of that Benitez wants, who's going to
1: really be suited to that lone striker role. Um, on to the national break how the well castle will be spending the next couple of weeks so what do you think Berniers will be doing I see some players are quite aware duty the ones that remain putting to the paces just, just keeping fit and preparing for, for the game the next game well it's interesting you
2: say that because I've just done an article um, about it which includes some quotes from Rafa um, and you know without giving too much away um, he basically said that he's looking forward to having a bit of quality coaching time uh, with some, some individuals um, I mean that's that's the great thing about having a manager like Rafa that you know he will he can get to the bottom of some problems, iron out, iron out a few things, and you know some of the things that have been said uh, about what's going on behind the scenes, I'm sure he will you know just double check a few things, but certainly um, two of the things that he mentioned in the piece that I've done are Newcastle's reaction to um, not conceding goals to scoring goals what what happened after Chelsea Newcastle got a great equaliser looked on course for a point and then obviously lost 2-1 Nottingham Forrest got the equaliser and stopped much time looked on course for at least penalties didn't get it conceded to it at the other end he'd be looking at little things like that and, and making a tweak and I think you'll see by the time they play Arsenal that um, again there'll be some kind of improvement because if he's good at one thing, if he's, good at, he's actually good at a lot of things, Rafa, but if, if there's one thing that stands out for me that he's very good at is the fact that if you don't take the message that he's given you once, he'll tell He said it before about... Did he say something about journalists that you, ha, you, ha, you have to tell them four or five th- times yeah. certain things? So if he doesn't get a message over the first time to a player, it'll, he'll just keep hammering away at it. Funny we were about Mitrovic, that... That was one of the things that he kept asking him to do a certain thing. He kept doing the opposite and it happened about 10 or ten to 15 times and he just lost patience with him and hence why he's now wearing a, the shirt
3: of Fulham. That was the same with Mbemba as well. Mbemba, he yeah. kept trying to do specific things. And I know Mbemba was a bit of a fan's favourite to a certain degree, like Mitrovic, but with Benitez it's, it, it's very specific. He likes players who are willing to learn, who are going to listen and even if they make mistakes... As long as they're learning from that and trying to progress and he just felt with those two that it wasn't uh, quite what they were doing. They weren't paying attention to what he was asking and it wasn't
2: necessarily on his mistakes. He almost felt that they were to a certain degree just ignoring his instructions. Uh-huh. I mean, pe- people will, sorry. People will make their own agenda as well, won't they? Like about, about certain things in football generally. But the Mitrovic and Newcastle thing as well is one great example of that. Newcastle have had a bad start, which we knew probably they would because they playing the top teams. Rich has got a few goals, so suddenly those two things are, you know, the reason why Newcastle are struggling so badly is because they sold Rich. and it's just much more complex than that, you know?
1: Obviously, uh, we've spoken before about Benitez's stubbornness, you know, like you say, and Bemba, just don't follow the instructions, and you're kind of in the bad books, and you've got to do a lot to get out of that bad book, so to speak. Um, Obviously, the story building up to the, to, to the City game was, Mike Ashley not being happy um, not being invited to training not being invited to a game by Rafa Benitez, now what was Benitez's reaction to that um, in, the, in the press conference and, and what did you make of what he had to say Well it was almost
3: one of bewilderment to be honest he kept on just making the point as if Mike Ashley owns the club, why do I need to invite him um, Mike Ashley's welcome whenever he wants, he's the owner and even at one point in the, in the press conference after after the TV bits we would already spoken about it uh, the journalist asked, who asked wrote the story asked him it again and he said and Benitez's response was, Are you married? And the journalist said yes. He said, Do you own a house? He said yes. He said, Do I need to invite you to come to your own house? And he was just making that point of why do I need to, to invite the owner to come up here. Um, I think it's part of the reason it seems to be is that the previous managers, certainly at least one of them, has invited Ashley up to watch training before and he's just made the point it was in Transfer uh, did discussions a couple of months ago I think Lee Charney mentioned to him why have you never invited Mike Ashley and it just seems to me a storm and take up it makes Ashley seem ridiculous to a certain extent why does he need to be invited why don't they have a dialogue about it but at the same time on the other end from Benitez you see Benitez's strength of character as well because I think someone like Alan Pardew, someone like John Carver, someone like Steve McLaren if they heard that would then immediately get on the phone and, and, and invite Mike Ashley whereas Benitez won't do that, Benitez to him it's irrelevant why does Meg Ashley need to come up here right now the focus is on training the focus is, was on getting his players ready for Man City
1: and the focus next week will be on uh, something similar to but wouldn't it be just easier for ben- I mean surely the easiest course would just be for Beneath to say right yeah I'm inviting you up and then it's in, my, in Ashley's hands I mean
3: logically to a certain extent you would have thought that but seemingly Benitez doesn't see it that way Benitez sees it as Mike Ashley could come up to Townside whenever he wants so why doesn't he do that but the fact of the matter is that he hasn't so uh, well, he, he doesn't see it as I think that it's almost part of the, the standoff between them as well Benitez doesn't necessarily have the trust in Ashley at the moment to believe he should be the one to have to invite Mike Ashley up here to watch training if Mike Ashley wants to come then Benitez isn't going to stop him and he'll welcome him but it, it, it's, there's the stubbornness on both sides and I think that that that's what why Benito's strength, of character is so strong and why he's been able to, to get through the two and a half years he's worked with Mike Ashley
1: so far. And do you think that um, the uh, that story deflected um, preparation on Saturday? I don't, I don't think it did, really. I just think that it was
2: dismissed as nonsense on on certain um, fan forums. Um I don't think anybody really took it too seriously, and really, it was almost something that Rafa yeah, was just trying to swap to one side, didn't he, before, yeah. before the game, so, you know, it was it was a strange one. I think more than anything it says to me,
3: it just shows you how Mike Ashley runs this football club, is it? it's just a, it's a ridiculous non-issue mm. that... Because things aren't quite going, you. Mike, uh, Rafa Benitez hasn't signed the contract he wants them to yet, that it's just an issue that he's brought up, which is, a not. it's not an issue if you want... If Mike actually wants to come up and, and visit training, then he should just ring up Lee Charlie and say, look, will you check with Rafa? Is it fine if I come on Wednesday? Or whatever. Wednesday's not good, I'll come on Thursday. I want to take in a training session. It's, it's, a, not, it's a complete non-issue, but it's almost like the owner wants his belly tickled or something by the manager. It just doesn't make guess any guess sense.
1: that kind of highlights just how far the relationship's broken down, because... Well, That's yeah, such a rat.
2: Without sitting in the same room as Mike Ashley or even Lee Charmley, we cannot really comment on it too much because.
0: Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You would like to hear it from the wholesome mouth, mm-hmm. and you'd like to give them the opportunity to say, look, is, is this right or wrong? Because nobody's really stood it up. Um, nobody's said, yes, he's definitely annoyed, because you don't hear anything from him. He hasn't mm-hmm. been to a game um, since the Barnsley game, yeah, last game of so, the so. and the, during that game, I think him and Rafa and Charlie were all pitching together, holding the tr- the trophy. So, you know, it's 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 a strange one, and I think really Mike Ashley, from my, from where I'm standing, he's gave across an impression that he's more focused on other areas of his business empire at the minute you know, you buy house a phrase of the day after the transfer window shuts. I mean, you couldn't make that up really, but um, he just seems to be more focused on, on other things at the moment. And um, yeah, I mean, ha- how many times had Mike Ashley been to the training ground in the last four years? I would say it's not very many times, maybe, maybe once or twice. But
1: <clears throat> other than that, I don't, I don't think it's a big issue given that that story was in, in the mail we saw BT sport after the game on Saturday dedicated half an <coughs> hour to Newcastle night yeah. highlights again kind of on a national scale like what happens up here the the North know does matter what, at least it sells papers on a national scale but what did you guys make of the BT sport debate obviously genius was mm. very critical of Mike Ashley Re- Reef, and not so much yeah I'm all three pundits walk
2: past the press box before the game um, and they were very polite um, but I think after the game I think I can take a lot from what Genas says because he's obviously played in Newcastle um, Rio Ferdinand I don't think during his career had much interest I think the last time i seen Rio Ferdinand uh, that close was when he was kicking off in the tunnel about stoppage time at Newcastle so uh, due, I think it was the 2-2 draw when David Edgar scored but uh, yeah I just think that realistically you know Newcastle I think Steve Howie put in a great show the other night on Sky Sports I, I would like to see more people who go to the games cover the games uh, report on the radio get a chance I know Mick Quinn writes a column for us he's a lot closer to the situation don't see Mick Games but Keeps a, a a firm hand uh, on on what's going on. You know, there's people like John Anderson goes to every game. We, we never see him on the the, the bigger sort of stage on TV. Um, you know, people like Mick Martin, who used to play for Newcastle, the captain. You know, he watches every home game. You know, people that see see the games regularly, um, are the, should be the first port of call um, for for the producers whoever's picking the guests. 'Cause you know, when people like Dennis Wise are getting put out, I just get, I just can't I can't take it seriously, you know, and I, I can't even I don't even let myself get angry about it because I just
1: know that they don't know what they're talking about. I suppose it is on a national scale so people would argue, well, we we know the truth, the fans tend to know the truth but the fans outside Newcastle will look at Dennis Wise and Sky Sportsman, we're real thing, and go, Okay, well he must have some element of truth in, in it.
3: Well, it's about balance isn't it it's about uh, i thought genus what he said was accurate and yes he used to play for the club but is he as close as, as i would like in terms of someone on that as he says it would be better if it was someone who probably is a little bit better connected but to be fair and geez, i thought it was a it was a pretty good show and i thought he was
1: fairly accurate in what he said Hardly the most popular Say, like, like, given his comments about goldfish boils and what have you?
3: No but I tend to find him as a pundit in general very honest. I may not agree with a lot of what he says but he's very honest about his own career. Um, but it's about if if you have someone like Rio Ferdinand who gets an outside perspective on the castle, I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing to have but you need the perspective of someone else who's close to counterbalance it and that's what I think these programmes like Sky when they've got Dennis Wise on if you're going to bring Dennis Wise on then get someone like Steve Howey as they had last week or get John Anderson or someone closer connected someone who has their finger on the pulse understands what's going on in Newcastle then I think it's healthier then you get both the outside perspective of someone because I suppose it would be the same as, as I mean we all have prejudice about other club or not full understand. if you asked me to go on and speak about Arsenal I wouldn't know that much about Arsenal I'm sure if you asked Steve Howie to go on he wouldn't know as much about Arsenal as it you need someone closer to the situation to counterbalance that but then you also get what the outside perspective is and the way that other people are seeing and then maybe any ideas they have which are incorrect the person who is closer to the situation can hopefully correct them and I think that's what Howie managed to do last week genius to a certain degree and hopefully going forward and I know for a fact that Sky have been trying to get belatedly uh, some northeast perspective on these programmes and hopefully
1: going forward that's what they're going to keep doing. Were you shocked when you saw the graphic um, of net spend, I think it was since the summer of 2017, we knew it was pretty bad but uh, I think Brighton 100 million, you 1 million, I mean that, even though let's, we knew how bad it was but we hadn't actually seen it on the TV. Well to be honest I,
2: w- I wasn't shocked but I was pleased it was highlighted because it puts a puts everything into context for for the for the neutral viewer uh, to see what what's going on and while Newcastle well, have offered given Raff and Benitez a little bit a little bit of spend he's also sold them you know, he's made them some big money on on sales with Sissoko mm. Wijnaldum um, but then you know again without sitting down and being able to speak to the powers that be and getting it from their point of view, it's hard to give a completely balanced view of it. And you know, we can only go off of what we are told on, on certain things. Some of these payments could be staggered, uh, I believe, yeah, so far, yeah. So, you know, and Newcastle just seemed reluctant. I mean, I think we was said at the start of the summer that they need to come out and, and you know, put themselves in a press conference situation, invite everybody there. Put Lee Charney on the stage and let people ask him questions. Like that, that might happen at some clubs. Others, others just won't. They're, they're too big, and because they're doing all right, they don't need to do that. Newcastle do need to do that. Mike Ashley won't speak. Put Lee
1: Charney. saw sure, Southampton do it. I think a couple of weeks ago, where they had Danny Ings, Mark Hughes, and a couple of the, the board members, and to get a little bit feisty. But I, I think we've said before, you know, if Lee Charney came out and said, "Look, we don't think we've got the money." to do this, to do that, Newcastle fans wouldn't be happy but they'd accept it because that's what they've been told yeah. by the bosses and they know that, that would then happen. I think Geordie's are very uh,
2: passionate uh, but also very fair people and once you know someone's come out and gave their side of it they would, they would have the respect um, of, of the local people because then you know we might not like the answers but at the end of the day they've come out and they've, they've offered some kind of response. Um, it's, I mean, the fan forum thing, that got postponed. You know, it's hard without being in the room for one of them things to know exactly what gets said because it, it gets announced that it's happening then a then about five or six days later we get some kind of bulletin of what got said and, you know, I think people have been kicked out of these forums before, haven't they, because they went too early. So let's have a little bit more transparency. I just think from...
3: It's one of those situations as well where if you don't have clarity, then yes, we may not. The Newcastle fans may not like the answers that they hear, but otherwise, they're just gonna they're just gonna speculate. And we have a situation now where there is so much of a conspiracy theory around Newcastle. Everything seems to be on social media that it's a, any pundit who doesn't like Newcastle is a, a Keith Bishop plant or um, any Rio Ferdinand because it's. it's um, this clothing line seems to have some connection with sports direct and apparently he was paid by Ashley and go on and all the, the, these sort of bizarre conspiracy theories and because that's because fans are desperately trying to find they don't understand what's going on with the club there's no communication from above Mike Ashley hasn't set out his vision for it the club's for sale but they're, they're not getting sold and Rafa Benitez can have every last penny, but then they've spent £1 million net in two summers. It, it's all of this stuff. We have no clarity on the situation, and that's where it just feeds itself. And I just think from a club point of view, to at least offer some clarity would help them as well, because it would stop. The, this. Just Everything just, just gets accentuated further because people are desperate for answers and nothing's coming, so they go searching further and find things that probably aren't true. but they've almost become true because we aren't getting
2: the answers People people will come to their own conclusions, they'll set their own agenda, which is basically what what happens with the the thing what we're talking about. So look, if they wanted to do themselves every favour then come out and be honest and rather than like, you know, giving a few people the opportunity to to ask questions, then let everybody have a have a press conference. Do a Southampton. Do you know what I mean? Give everyone the opportunity to ask what they need to ask and then, you know, answer
1: them to the best of their ability. I think everyone would, would applaud them for that. Definitely. And just the final question on that before we get on to questions from listeners uh, from Twitter. With it being on a national scale. I think Chris, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Mike Ashley only really starts to take maybe notice when it is on a national scale. BT, millions of viewers. There's been articles I think in the eye this week and you know obviously we've seen likes Luke Edwards and George Carpenter also put their view across in the nationals. Do you think Mike actually would have seen Saturday Show and gone okay. That's not good press for me. Or do you think it'll be more the same? Right? Okay. Do you think? Well, you just maybe he just hasn't even seen it, and he continues. I have absolutely no idea whether
3: he's seen it again. Literally, it'd be nice to have him in the room. You can ask him. Does he watch it? I, I don't know how closely he actually follows the games at the moment. He hasn't been to one since that. Uh, game in the, the end of the championship season. He was at a few that year, he went to, he was at Brentford away, he was at a couple of other Birmingham. games, Birmingham yeah. yeah. Um so I don't know whether he watches them from afar when they're on T V. We we don't really know. Um so will it have registered with them? I mean I very much imagine that PR people in the round will have seen it, they'll have they have reported back on what's gone on, what's been said, and I don't think he came across in a positive way. I don't think the way the club has been runners come across in a positive way uh, there was the bit on match of day two i think it was last week where they interviewed a few newcastle fans and like war flags and other areas and then again that was showing the situation that's happening in newcastle and it wasn't painting a positive picture it was basically saying we need rafa but the things above surely he recognizes that it isn't serving him well but i think as least said the problem is that his focus at the moment very much doesn't seem to be on newcastle it seems to be on sports direct and I think that's part of the issue what I will say as
2: well is that Mike Ashley ever since he's taken over he's always been guided by somebody on the football side of things um, it was Dennis Wise to begin with um, it was then Joe Kinnear um, and and more recently there's a bit of a gap there I mean Graham Carswell as well was, mm-hmm. was certainly somebody who you know, he travelled to some games with I think they went on a scouting mission to see uh Mayang, uh, at St Etienne. So there was other European games that he went to. So he's al- there's always been that kind of football guide there. Um that seems to have dried up a bit. Graham Carr's gone, Joe Knee's gone, Dennis Wise keeps popping up on T V but you know, are they still speaking to each other privately? We don't know. People suspect that they are. But um, Rafa Benitez as if, if there has been no contact you do you do kind of worry that there is something going on there. But again I'll say you know un- unless we can get get some clarity from, from the people who are having these things said about them then it's hard to you know have that full picture mm-hmm. of what, what what's going on.
1: Definitely definitely well we'll just finish with some questions from people on Twitter. Uh, Rob Smythe asks Uh, Do Newcastle have to ignore the season up to now and look at the fixtures after the national break as when the campaign starts? I think that's
2: probably a sensible way of looking at it. I think, you know, when the fixture list came out, you knew that if Newcastle got three points from 12, that would be good Um, because you expected them to beat Cardiff and lose the other three. They've got one point from 12, so it's a little bit less than we expected. Arsenal game not as done but still tough and then after that I think that's when Newcastle's season really begins and you know they play within the league that they're probably in and I think uh, I think they will start picking up some points It's a 34 game season now
3: have got one point from the first four just got to focus on what's ahead the, the, those games are gone now hopefully learn from those mistakes of this national break if has can work with the players and then really hopefully get some points on the board before the next one which is only I think 4 or 5 games
1: uh, Craig Cottenham's got two questions so we'll go with the first one is um, do you think that Mike actually not attending recent meetings that he's been due to attend he's talking about the uh, AGM I think it's Sports Direct which is going to happen actually in uh, September 12th Guardian Port is not going to be there that's certain I think companies with holdings within the Sports director suggested maybe not vote Mike Ashley. Uh, in again, um, the statement is: I suppose it says due to around demands on his time, that's why he's not going to attend on September twelfth. He says, could that mean that he's trying to sell the club, uh, or has he been overly optimistic with that assumption?
3: I, I have no idea on that front. I don't know. We we could we could hope so, but I I would very much suspect that this more. Is a case of he doesn't want to be there, there's all the talk of his son-in-law, I think it is, just he wants to make some, some senior position and as you say there's a lot of subsidiary companies wanting to vote him off. Is there? I, I generally don't know, I haven't heard that, um, I think it is wishful think, thinking to a certain degree but I suppose fans can live in hope but I, I don't think that he would necessarily be dealing with the intricacies of any negotiations at that stage anyway in that much detail as to, to last until September the 12th that was the case but who knows That's
1: his, his second question there from Craig is basically any news on the takeover or is it as, as quiet as it seems
2: Well the last time that I spoke to people sort of in that sort of area of the club was that the club is still for sale um, and since it was since that statement came out last year the they feel that the price has gone up so you know it was was it through well there was loads of different bids, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. but to cut a long story short, I think you wouldn't get past the uh, negotiating table unless you started at 400 million now, which that's that seems to be what Mike Ashley sees the club's worth
1: um, do you guys think that is a fair price in, in the world of football today <sighs> It's hard to say
2: you know if I had 400 million I'd be able to answer that not bad, <laughs> because look potentially Newcastle could be massive you know if, if someone come in and we're prepared to give it the TLC it needs then I think you know shirt sales tickets if you could expand the ground um, you, you could get more people involved I think that basically the, the club's global brand could be done a lot better you know they, could, they don't go on tour to the Americas and places like this you know far east all that kind of stuff they don't do that and you know I mean last this season uh, they went to Ireland there was an opportunity to do sports direct there if they wanted didn't do it um, Braga, there was a sports direct there believe it or not you'd think that all the players would be going up there to do some kind of promotion thing there didn't do it so if they can't even get the little trips right then you do worry about uh, how they would do things on a, on a wider scale I, I think the potential is there it's massive but really, uh, you know, why, why have we still got Mike Ashley in charge? Because nobody's been prepared to put the money where the mouth is, unfortunately.
3: Is it a fair price? I, I, I don't know the suggestions are. that probably is a little over the top. But at the end of the day, as long as Newcastle are in the Premier League, I think the way that Mike Ashley sees it is, I'm not losing any money here. He's taking a risk because if you lose Rafa Benitez, they could easily be relegated for the third time. But as long as we are in the Premier League he can sit there until someone comes along with an offer that he thinks right that's what I want he's got the the power and the control to do that and, and it might, people might not like it but at the end of the day that is he, he paid the money in the first place to do it he's still got the, the loans within the club and I mean last I was told was that he's still planning for the medium term he, that, that, that's the way the club are planning that he's going to be the owner for the medium term because although it's for sale they haven't seen it as likely that in the in the next few months at least it, it's, it's going to be sold so it's frustrating, it's the price isn't yeah. it? The price the,
2: the price. The pr- yeah. the, 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 that, that's, that's the price, but that's what clearly putting people off mm-hmm. because people have invested in two clubs in the northeast in recent times, Sunderland and Gateshead, mm-hmm. obviously not as big, but at the end of the day, four hundred million is phew, it's a it's a lot of money, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Next, one of the next question from um, New FC fanatic says, do you believe that Rafa and Mike Ashley can seriously move on and work together under a new contract or have their working relationships become too strained? I think that there is
3: still a chance they can work together going forward. It was interesting that one of the things Rafa said on Friday was, don't worry. and He, he, he had that at the end of a sentence when he was asked about this Ashley ridiculous story about uh, once we become the training ground. He's like, don't worry, we still have plenty of time and fans are going to worry naturally because they're in the final 12 months of his contract contract talks have been stalled indefinitely but the fact that Benitez is still here the fact that he still does talk about that he'd like to be here for five to ten years I think it isn't beyond the realms of possibility that they could sort something out there needs to be an olive branch offered by Ashley there needs to be at least some change from above but the fact that Benitez is still here tells me that there is still hope that there could relationship going forward but it needs some serious
1: work and it probably needs a, a change of approach at least to a certain extent from above And, and just to finish off we'll finish off on a positive and one positive from both you guys uh, that you've seen over the last four weeks or so I know it might be a little bit difficult um, but Lee one positive that you have seen over there since the start of the season
2: I think Rondon is probably my big positive I think the equaliser on the Forest may have counted for nothing on the night but in the context of the whole season hopefully that gets his confidence really sort of sparked off provided a great assist at Man City I think he will get goals um, I think he'd be worthy of that number 9
3: shirt Mine's Hosselu. um I know he gets well criticised uh, I know he is never going to set the world alight. And he's, he's probably never going to get 10-15 goals a season but he started the season well, scored a couple of goals and he, he is very important he's an important player to Benitez and he has liked him a lot he's a very nice character very important in the dressing room and I'm just pleased to see him having started the season so well and hopefully he can continue that I think Rondon's arrival has really helped him lift his level too We see them both up top at some point I doubt it but stranger things have happened he has gone 4-4-2 before but uh, I, th- I think it's unlikely
1: well, well, Thank you very much for joining us if you look out over the next couple of weeks we're going to have a few uh, podcast specials with John Gibson, uh, give us corner, we'll be talking about uh, subway Robson and we'll also be getting Chris Mark and Lee and uh, to talk about kind of again similar lines that they just said they're the process of the season so far, their summary of the first month or so. So thank you very much for joining us. Head over to to keep the date with all the latest cast-night news.
0: Hi, it's Finn Duar from the Irish History Podcast. And this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACAST app or wherever you get podcasts.